Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant? Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dave Clay. There was a time when all superheroes seemingly had to hide their identity. I'm not sure why. <laughs> it just seems like that's the way it goes. Um, there's Batman, there's Spider-Man, um, the Lone Ranger, <laughs> going all the way back, Zorro. I'm not sure where that came from necessarily, but it does seem to be a truism that if you try to tell the world <laughs> of your superpowers and in that same sort of a way, you look too much like them or too familiar to them, they seem to discount you. Uh, even Jesus had some difficulties with his so-called home folk in that uh, a prophet is not honored or received in his very hometown, <laughs> his neighborhood. Uh I don't know that necessarily everything that is of superhero status or such virtue has to be hidden, but it does seem to be that way. Maybe it's the empirical sort of nature of humankind. We have to touch it, taste it, feel it. We have to be in some measure much like Thomas, um, having to actually be a bit skeptical and having to actually then experience it to, to really believe it. Um, it's an old saying, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, I suppose that goes back to the Lone Ranger, Hio Silver, and away. But I do think that the Word of God is sort of in that same dimension, hidden unto our natural inclinations, our empiricism, our need to experience it, to touch it, taste it, feel it, see it, to believe it. And if that's true, then probably the revelation of God, which you're going to go to the book of Revelation today, is uh, maybe the same way. It's masked. It's hidden. Not with intent to deceive, but maybe, possibly, we wouldn't we'd normalize it. We'd uh, make it less than it really is. The word, the power of God, Jesus even. The Christ, <laughs> because we'd be threatened by it. We'd want to put it down. We'd want to see it as, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Our experience tells us. And then before we even get a chance to hear it, taste it, touch it, feel it, we discount it. A couple podcasts ago, we were in, this is the prequel, the setup. We were in First John chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read 1 through 8. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome or grievous. For whatever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 
Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three things, or three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Context. Context is important, because I could pull a verse, any verse, and probably make it fit what I might want to persuade you to either believe or might in some way want to influence you to get you to do something. I think they call that manipulate. I don't want to do that. I want to put it within as much context as the podcast will allow. And yes, I have been accused of being long-winded. But the intention of that would be to make sure that the entirety of the context was presented so that you too could see it in as clear a lens as the word would provide for us. And in the same sort of way, that was a lot of verses. First John chapter 5, 1 through 8. But the context of that is really, really crucial because the context of that really then gives us a context to rightly interpret line upon line, precept upon precept, the book of Revelation. And the passage I'm going to go to specifically today in the book of Revelation But the verse I want to hone in on before we go there, Revelation 19, for all of you who have your Bibles, you would like to go ahead and get your Bible out and turn to Revelation 19. For there is three that bear record in heaven, verse 7, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And then, verse 8, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. There is a need for not only context, but there is a need in that same sort of a way for validation. Now, why is validation important? Because it is empiricism. That's really what made Thomas question. Uh, And maybe it isn't that all superheroes wear masks or have to be hidden or all good things are hidden to get past the corruption of our disbelief our doubting Thomas nature, our show me state, uh, would be to tell me, but show me first. You could tell me, but show me, because I'm not going to believe you. That's why it's wrong to manipulate. That would be why I would be wrong, it'd be wrongful, for me to pull a verse out and just say, here it is, and, or, or even to be dismissive of the word, the Bible. Uh, as with word, or as with book, and chapter, and verse, and just tell you what I think. Otherwise, it's just opinion. I've got those, you've got one of those, everybody's got one of those, an opinion. And it is empirical in that it comes from what we've experienced of this life, what we've been taught, what we've seen ourselves, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's truth (laughs) And this passage that I just read, is about truth. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? That is truth. 
And if we do not believe that or do not recognize that as truth, then we're living in deceit and denial, which is a lie. Verse 6, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood, and is the spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth. So it's not that seeing it, To believe it is wrong. Science is predicated upon that very same principle. You have to measure it in some way and then validate whatever your thesis is. And you have to do some sort of survey probably on the front end, collect all the data, have at least some notion, a theory that you're going to test. But that doesn't guarantee it's truth, and that's why science is failing. It it isn't that science is bad. It isn't that science isn't even the mind of God. I believe that science is the mind of God, but it is the mind of God only in Old Testament context, and only then pragmatically so, for the sake of the flesh. (laughs) And, And even then, what does it prove? That we have no North Star We have no contextual, we have no in-context or contextual terms, definitive reference for truth, except that we begin with the mind of God, not just Old Testament, but complete, which means New Testament, which means Word, Old Testament, then living Word in Jesus Christ. And what brings the Word to life? but the Holy Spirit. And who might then be the Holy Spirit? But even as this passage is referencing God himself. Jesus, the Word, Father, God, and Holy Spirit. It's concurrent validity. Each element or component, as there is a bit of a compartmentalization, a breaking apart of God, for the sake of our understanding God, and then probably for the sake of that those, uh, that verse chapter, First uh, John 5, chapter 5, verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. For the sake of the spirit, the water, and the blood, all human dimension, we need to know that without God, without Jesus, without Jesus, the Christ, we're going to end in death. That's all that this life proves. If you don't have the word of God and ultimately not only Old Testament relationship with God to understand his mind, but to understand why he's chosen to do it the way he's chosen to do it in material terms, natural terms, you're not going to have a way out. If you don't understand that Jesus the Christ is the only way out and that it is more than even Jesus as Jesus. I've got to be careful when I say this. Jesus is the Christ as we know him in the Bible. But there's a lot of Jesuses in this world. Fortunately, most people don't call their children Jesus when they name them parents. But there are some that have. But most often, Jesus, but Jesus in a Hispanic sort of reference or in uh, some sort of Hispanic flavor dialogue is really Jesus. So there's plenty of Jesuses in the world that aren't the Christ. 
But lest we get caught up on the name even Jesus or in the name even Jesus or the material manifestation of the Christ as within what? The truth as within what? The word as within what? The Old Testament as within what? Then prophesying of the Christ as in what? The New Testament as in what? Jesus now identified as the Christ. But as we said in a couple podcasts ago, might have been the last one, if you should happen to listen to these sequentially, John chooses not to call him, <laughs> it is a he, the Jesus, he calls him, or even the Christ, he calls him the Word. I, I believe that John already has a revelation that he is sharing in 1 John chapter 5. Though it is not in quite the same terms, definition, that we see in the book of Revelation when he was on the Isle of Patmos, and where we're going to go to here in just a moment in the book of Revelation. But John, there's still a bit of a mask, but John's taking the mask off the superhero, so to speak. John's not normalizing the super. John's just pointing out the super is in normal. You just have to find the super in normal, but you won't find him except that you pursue. Try to find him. You have to be open. The empiricism is not bad. The Old Testament is not failing. The Old Testament is the logistics that sets up the revelation of who Jesus is. The Old Testament brings our mind into proper alignment so we can know and see who Jesus is as the Christ. But it is more about the Word of God, which is then truth, which is then of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who he has chosen to show to us, but we can't receive it except that we would then pursue it. And the pursuit is going to lead you to one definitive conclusion. If you don't know Jesus the Christ, you don't understand the word is to be then or become then living word, knowing that there has to be more than your intellect has to be more than the psychology of you, your human soul is going to die. That's definitive. And we all are going to have that happen. It's just when it happens, earlier or later in our life, and should it only be when our flesh dies, then there's no saving our flesh. It's dead. At that point, you don't resurrect it. You resurrect it before that. Now, Christ, God may resurrect that in material terms, but the soul is what we're concerned with. When the human body dies, elements, components of the body may indeed in a material, naturalistic sort of way be used again by God. But your soul perisheth. That's King James. Your soul dies without Jesus because you have not accepted the inevitable. Not only of your death, but this promise of God as in not only death, but now New Testament, living word of eternal life has no application with you. Because you've not received. 
You may have considered it. You may have been like Thomas. You may have even lived with it. There's plenty of folks that have lived in churches, in God-fearing Christian families, that upon that point of making their decision to believe in Jesus or not, the age of accountability, when they've got all the information, they've got all the human apparatus online to be now responsible for their choice either to believe that Jesus is the Christ, to unmask the supernatural element, to understand it was housed in earthen vessels in otherwise corruption that will go to the earth, back to the earth, dirt, but will be resurrected in some dimension, but we're not concerned so much about that. That's an inevitability. That is the mind of God. That is empiricism, established validity, reliably so. Nothing escapes that. That's Old Testament. That's just the process. That's the way that God has chosen to maintain life in material dimension. But what we're most concerned about is the soul, the human element that is of psychology, psychological construct, ego, identity. You made him up. Your parents made you up. Um, Those around you influence who you are. It's all, however, of corruption if you don't understand where the truth is. And it's in you. The truth is in you. He's in you all along. John says that. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The Spirit, that's a capital S. He's in you from the very beginning. He's just got a mask on. If he showed you who he was, you may not believe him. Why? Because there's all this stuff going on around you that's discounting no, you're not a superhero. No, love doesn't overcome all. No, we're all going to die. No, everybody's going to lie, cheat, and steal. Everybody's going to try to kill each other. Everybody's going to die anyhow. Eat, drink, and be merry. Do whatever it is that you need to do. Maybe there's some nobility. Maybe you can try to make it a better life. But in the end, we're all going to die. That is true. That is very much true. But the spirit of life is in you. It's just hidden. It's corrupted by all of this. (laughs) The corruption of the world. And that mask has to be removed. You put the mask on Jesus or Christ. The Christ or the Holy Spirit. And then God has to send his son, Jesus... Which does. He's human. Jesus was human. And then he has to go through all of that just to help you realize nobody escapes that. Even Jesus doesn't escape that. But it's not in the death. It is in the resurrection. But the resurrection is in the Holy Spirit. Because what's more important than the flesh being resurrected? It is the Holy Spirit 
who now in Christ, as you've come to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you now are one with Him. The promise of eternal life in the Holy Spirit is secured. The devil could not, the world could not deceive you. You could not be stolen from God in that way. He could not, the devil, keep you from God any longer. Now you know how the truth, which God gives you on the front end, you just have to have it proven to you. But now you know how the Holy Spirit that's been in you all along, God's plan has been for it to come out of you, show himself unto you, reveal himself in you, unto you, allow you to realign, to decide to (laughs) die before you die. To Jesus, to the Christ, to give your life, your ego, the psychology of it all, the construct of it, to be as much like Jesus and then align the flesh, the physical, in as best you can with your choice, will, and intention so God can finish the work of then preserving your soul. Restoring that innocence which was stolen from you of the devil to your demise, your death. But God says, no, I'm going to go ahead and send the sacrificial lamb, the one final evidence that I don't need to do anymore, as if I could speak for God, to show you in empirical terms what it is to be saved in the Christ so the Holy Spirit can come alive again within you. That's the water, born of flesh, but he's also of blood. There has to be that. It's not for just animals, Old Testament. It's right, thou shalt not murder, don't kill one another. That's not how you let blood. You don't even have to do that out of anything but allowing what other instead would be the natural dimension of death to do that work for you. It's not ugly. It's not gory. It's noble. It's virtuous. Thou shalt not kill. We do not need to go around killing one another. But that's not going to save you. That is part of your salvation though because that is the way that God has chosen to keep life going in material regard. But he has not chosen in any way, shape, and form to lose one bit of you. Certainly the Holy Spirit part of him that is in you is going to be restored and reclaimed unto God when your body passes. But he doesn't want you to die with the flesh. He wants you to become one in spirit, heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, in Jesus Christ, and then each other, so you still affect the same thing. You're not going to go around killing one another, but when we die, we don't die. We go on to be with the Lord, as they say. We're restored. We're returned in Jesus. But along the way, if we're still here, we abide in His Spirit. So that when He comes to collect all of us, At the end of this, (laughs) it's been a good run. Human race, he's not going to come back just as the Jesus, as the Jesus. 
with that level of maybe just material dimension, although there's a necessity because we're not going to recognize him if he doesn't, because it's all still, even the book of Revelation is all about that. Humans. There is this part, and we may get to it, I can't remember exactly where the verse is, but as I've been studying a bit, it talks about the first resurrection. Well, I read then, that was in chapter, I believe it's 19, post chapter 19, book of Revelation. But the idea that was, well, what's the first resurrection? We know about the first death, we know about the second death, we know about the new Jerusalem coming down, but there's no other mention of a second resurrection because I believe in the end, there's no need to have a message about second resurrection because if you make it through the first in Jesus, that's the end of humans. We don't have to worry about that anymore. That is probably the second resurrection. But for material definition, for the Thomas in us all, for the empiricism, and for those of us who instill some intellectual, rational, psychological regard, are trying to figure all of this out, John on the Isle of Patmos, that's what he was trying to do. He had a revelation, but even as he wrote this, he wrote this in, in at least a conversational sort of dimension, it was either Jesus or it was the angel speaking to him about certain things that were to come. But he was still in his human dimension trying to figure it all out. It is confusing from a human standpoint, but it's no more confusing than to realize human standpoint is always confusing. The only real clarity, the only real way you're going to figure any of it out now, whatever time it takes yet for Jesus to come for his second coming, which we're going to go to in Revelation 19, or even so, if we're there or as we're there, white throne judgment kind of stuff, and seeing all this unfold, it's still going to be confusing if you don't see it through the word. You have to take off all the material definitions because that is the corruption. Everything of identity and personality must be laid at the feet of Jesus, casting our crowns, at the feet of Jesus, lest we won't understand it, lest we'll be still vulnerable to that thousand-year reign. The devil, how could he come back and trick them for a season? That makes no sense if I understand it, but I can't, except that I would approach it with this one central premise. The Word of God is truth. You move off the script, the narrative that God has given us for the sake of our navigating all of these things, past, present, future, ups, downs, rights, lefts, um, even that ability, the knowledge of good and evil, for us to know the difference between the two and even trying to judge it as Solomon did. He only did that with wisdom, which is Holy Spirit, which is Holy Spirit virtue, out of his own flesh, he could never have done that. Nobody can judge anybody except God and his chosen one. But there's only one chosen one, and that is Jesus, who in essence conceded, don't judge it, let the Holy Spirit lead you to it. <laughs> because only he can guide and direct. And fortunately now... 
Jesus still speaks to us. He's returned again for those of us who've accepted and received him. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit and guides us and leads us. But it's still in the Spirit. So, Revelation 19. Beginning with one. And after these things, I heard a great voice of many people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great harlot who did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of mighty pearls of thunder saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, blessed are they who are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written. No man knew. But he himself. When you enter into the presence of God, it's an awesome thing. When you understand his righteousness, when you understand his way, when then you understand the full revelation of Jesus. John was getting the full revelation of Jesus. Finally, he had some idea of who Jesus was. He wrote of Jesus as with testimony of Jesus and the gospel of John. He wrote the epistles to encourage others. He shared what he was able to in that time in his life and season. What he knew was more than just Jesus. He knew it was the word. And it does not take anything from Jesus. But it just establishes, validates he's the Christ. And we won't know him by the name Jesus. He won't return as just Jesus. That would just make him normal. We don't have to have a mask on to see him for who he really is. We can now look upon the face of good, superhero, 
and not run from it, not be scared of it, not be destroyed by it. We can be humbled. We can understand and accept, not with brokenness as in failure, but acceptance of our limitation and how much greater he is. And who is clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The testimony is you have that now. The testimony is you can experience that now. The revelation isn't just for the end times. It was John's testimony of when it all finally came to him, but it's just like the moment we had here. It's truth. It's love. It's God. And we want to be there. And all the things that seem to matter in the wrong sort of way pass away. It's not important. We can see the New Jerusalem now. But we have to lead with Christ. Jesus is the Christ. But more than Jesus, it is the Christ. And more than just the Christ that brings us to this revelation, it is the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of God, which is more than just the mind of God. It is the heart of God that the Old Testament and Jesus testifies to. But when you go into his throne room, it's what you get. It's what you see. It is at once humbling. It is at once scary. It is once confusing. It is at once all of these mighty rushing wind. It is the emotion. It's the cloven tongues. But it's the small, still voice. And it's the heaven. Even as we can't imagine it, except to read John or have our own revelation at some level of what it might be like, but it's still only in human terms. And that in of itself can't captures, can't capture, does not capture, fails in capturing the true glory of God. This is what Moses had to be hidden in the cleft of the rock because he why he had to be, what he could not see. We can see now. But if you're willing to go there, then everything else becomes clearer. God sent his son so that you do not have to die. And though there will always be an atonement for sin, there will always be a requirement of a sacrifice. You are not the sacrifice Jesus is. But think it not strange that your body is corruption and will not go into heaven. It's not going to go there, and neither is your name except to be written in the Lamb's book of life, which guarantees entry. But once you get in there, it doesn't matter anymore. Aren't we glad it doesn't matter? Because the stress, the strain, the struggles of this life are our own creation if we put this life, the pride of this life, ahead of the greater glory that God has called us to. And the truth is, His promises are true. You won't die 
Your soul in Christ has entry into eternity in heaven with God. Those who don't let that happen aren't sanctified in that same sort of fire way by the blood of the Lamb. His garments wash clean. That's the only way you get there. And that's tough, a hard, difficult message. But cooperating not with the concession of, oh, well, again, Thomas, let's go to Jerusalem. We're all going to die anyhow. No, let's go there expecting, though that may be part of it, it will be part of it. There'll be more. But if you don't believe in the more, then you're stuck in the Old Testament. And all you're going to get is the lesser. And should you're not, your soul not receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you won't have anything more than that except the second death and a white throne judgment. And when they look in the Lamb's Book of Life, when it is looked with your name to see if your name's there, you won't be there. But if you accept Jesus, you go this path that God has set for us. You follow this truth. Not only will you be there, but you will have your own rewards for having done it. In a way that not only saved your soul, but quite possibly saved other people's souls. That's what we try to do with covenants. We try to encourage, lift up, build support, strengthen, but we use the word of God. And if you have a moment like we had on the podcast today, and I'm not going to be apologetic about that. I don't ever edit these. God has shown or revealed to me, if I could say it that way, don't edit them. Be human, be real, allow me to speak through you. That's what we're going to do in the counseling sessions. But if you allow that to happen, I know the Holy Spirit has an answer for you. It may only be a matter of logistics. It may only be a matter of getting through all that we've got to get through right now. But He is there to lead us, to guide us. The Word is there, Old and New Testament. The Holy Spirit, He is there. And it all bears witness of the power of not only the Word, but the Word that represents the truth that sets us free. And should you want to share that with me or anyone who works with us at Covenants, give us a call. 304-528-9220. You can check us out on Facebook, Covenants, at, at, on Facebook at Covenants. Covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. Be the email and covenantsonline.com would be the web address. You can also come back for the next podcast if you want to. And though I am not (laughs) a superhero, uh, we're not going to wear any masks. Even Moses had to wear a mask, come to think of it, coming off the mountain. We're not going to wear any masks. We're going to enjoy the glory of the Lord as in looking upon the face of God because Jesus, because the Christ is there and we have a cloak of righteousness. But we'll get into his presence and I'm very confident that he's going to reveal to you all that he is and also lead you, guide you through whatever it is you're going through.
come back for the next podcast, though, and uh, we'll <laughs> try to do that as best we can on the podcast. In the meantime, God bless. And I want you to know, I really do appreciate anyone that could endure this. Listen to me. And uh, I thank you for the opportunity. Thanks.